All right, so I want to thank my guest, and I know I figured this out. On the computer, you have to point this way, even though it's not the way it looks. But those of you on the video can probably already see who my guest is. Those of you that are just listening to the podcast. Uh, so my guest is a seven-time Black Belt World Champion, uh, two-time Black Belt Nogi World Champion, and he's a two-time ADCC World Champion. So by those stats alone, you probably have an idea who I'm talking about. Uh, but so... This is uh, Professor John G. Gimeno, and I probably said his name incorrectly. I've asked all my Brazilian friends, like, all right, say it again, say it again, just so I can get it right. But how close was I, Professor? Well, it was all right. First of all, it's my pleasure to be here. I uh, speak with you and with your audience. You know, hopefully, uh, you know, I can inspire you guys a little bit and talk to you a little bit about it, uh, you know, my career, uh, mindset, and things that I think, you know, help people in this journey of Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, this very complex yet very simple journey, uh, what is Jiu-Jitsu. But uh, the real way you should say, you should say is Shanji, like S-H in front. Okay. Shanji, yes. That's there that's the, the product. But it's fine, you know, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, I know it's complicated. It, it, it's an X, Xander, Zanji, Zanji. I have I have so many. I Sometimes I joke around, I should make... Uh, you know, there's that movie where that actor have like 23 personalities. Yeah. I could definitely have uh, one personality for each one of my my cold names. So uh, it's just fun. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you. And again, I, I'm, uh, I'm definitely a big fan. And I know that my professor is actually jealous. When I told him when I was interviewing, he's like, no way. But uh, I appreciate you coming on. So with somebody who has kind of your background and all this the stuff that I just described and all of the jujitsu knowledge locked inside of your mind, I want to ask what I think is the most difficult question in jiu-jitsu. So we have Roger Gracie, we have Roberto Abreu, Cyborg, then we have Henzo Gracie, we have Rodolfo Vieira. How do you know whether the R sounds like an R or it sounds like an H? Uh, well, pretty much Roger, Henzo, uh, everything. Okay, I'm good at that stuff. Okay. So the letter R in general is huh. Like okay. everything you see with an R should be huh, Roger, Renzo, Roberto, Ribeiro. Uh, if uh, any time is like in the end of a, of a sentence, like uh, let's say love means amar, see amar, Roberto, roda, like uh, like will. Uh, it only goes r if it's between two vowels. All right, so uh, for example, expensive means caro, see, caro. Okay. But then another law is if it's a double R, it go goes back to age, like huh. Like for example, carro, you know, carro means a car. So pretty much every time it's in the beginning, on the end, or there's a consonant, it's huh, like, uh, like, like, uh, like, like I said, Roger, Henzo, Roberto, I see Roberto, you know, yeah. cyborg, you know, so it's huh and huh. Words such as, like I said, carro, uh, I don't know what other words in now, now you, 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 you miss. But anyway, so if it's a double R between vowels, that's a law, it's always going to be huh. If it's a one R between two vowels, it's r. That's the only time we say r. Like uh, the word uh, Macau is arara. You know, aria, like area, mm -hmm. aria. So uh, that's the only time you use the, the, the R as Americans do. 
Perfect. It's between so. vowels. Between vowels. So it's between one R between vowels is R. That's all you need to know. Got it. <laughs> everything, right. everything, everything else is H. <laughs> I, I think I got it. I'm sure I'll still mess it up, but that gets me a lot closer. So uh, for thanks, that's thank okay. That's okay. See, so, Eric. See, Eric. If 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 uh, you'd be double R, it would be Eric. So that not now, right there, you know. Okay. If it's the way if if it, see perfect. See your name, Ehera. See. Ehera. That's how someone would say important. So your name is perfect to 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 actually um, uh, speak about it. But uh, uh, the age important in English, maybe some of us would say Ehera, right? Like Ehera. Yeah. So uh, if your name would be a R instead of an age, would be Ehera. <laughs> so here you go. That's a good so, practice for you. Very good. So simple but complicated, just like jujitsu. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Just so, takes practice. Takes practice. For sure. And I, I, my Portuguese is terrible, so it definitely has a, a long way to go for sure. That's all right. All right. So I want to now actual talk about actual jujitsu. So okay. you obviously known for a couple of things. One of them is your almost impassable guard. But from you, what in your mind stands out in your jujitsu game? Um, it's my efficiency. I think I'm very efficient with my energy uh, and my ability to protect myself. That's, uh, I think those are the two things that really stands out. It's my opponent's inability to do anything to me, you know, as far as like big positions, you know. Uh, the thing about uh, the modern uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu stance is like, it's so much value for advantage in a sweep that because, you know, you can win a lot of tournaments with a sweep, but a sweep, it doesn't mean much in a real world. You know, you can be on the top, like uh, a terrible example, but a good example where we saw this weekend was Jacare being knocked down from the bottom. You know, so uh, the guard, in my opinion, is just a really uh, even field, you know. You don't really, in a sense of like being effective and, and the fight is over from that position. Uh, I don't think jiu-jitsu is based on guard. But then when you got situations such as like, you know, uh, a closing half guard, a side control, knee in the belly, mount and back position, for me, those are the things that define the, 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 the art uh, of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And I think that's where my number one ability because I don't get caught in these positions, you know. I don't get, you know, I don't get... The th don't, don't get me wrong, people do pass my guard, but they just can't stabilize, you know. And now there's almost like a stigma that people don't even try to pass anymore. So they try to, to work a lot with the rules, meaning let me just get close to a half guard so then can get advantage on Shanji and then I can ride that out. So, and, and I think that's, that's what it is. And I think that's the core of Jiu-Jitsu. I think that's the simplicity of Jiu-Jitsu is your ability to mobilize someone and control someone and, and from that point on finish the fight. And I think in my case, uh, pretty much, I would say 99% of the time I've lost has been either through advantage or through a sweep. You know, never really, you know, like I said, my guard haven't been passed in 15 years. Uh, I only got really my back taken in Nogi. Rodolfo took my back in 2015 uh, in Nogi. Uh, Buchecha took my back in ADCC 2017. That's about it. You know, there's no... There's no big positions that people are able to catch me. And you look 
you know, if you look at many, many high-level competitors, they get the guard passed all the time. They get the back taken all the time. They get mountain pretty often, you know, but their inability to survive and escape these positions, I think that's a big key on that. And I think that's where my differential is. Nobody can finish me from any position. And that's how, how confident I am with the, with the efficiency of my jiu-jitsu on those matters. Do you think in part, you know, some of the challenges they have when, when they get in a bad spot and not knowing how to get out of it is because they're so much better than everybody else that they train with that they're not often in a bad spot unless they're literally like drilling, escaping from the mount or something like that. But in like a, a sparring round, it never really happens. Well, uh, and that is ego, you know, they need to know how to play with uh, the fun part of jiu-jitsu, you know, like uh, my guard gets passed all the time in training, you know, because I, I, I risk, I'm not worried about, uh, because I'm not worried about getting my guard passed. I'm not in a training session and, and putting this load of responsibility that because I'm a champion or I'm a high level guy that I have to be you know, so concerned about it. So I have a lot of freedom to work my attacks, you know, my, my guard specifically speaking, it's, it's either or, it's either good defense or sharp and, and precise finish. You know, I'm not really much of a, a sweep seeker, you know, everything that my guard involves, involves on my idea to choke you, to, 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 to get on. So pretty much the trilogy, choke, omoplata, Omoplata and armbar. So I stay on that trilogy all the time. And then eventually uh, 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 an opportunity to work a reversal will happen. And that's my second strategy. Said that, uh, usually because the system shooting very high into a submission, some, sometimes exposes you. And then you get your guard passed. But your guard is only passed if your opponent has the ability to stabilize the position. And that's where they can't, you know, because I, I understand where the energy turns in, into from guard to a, to a mobilization fight, you know, and I'd be able to anticipate this before it happened. So I just think people, they, especially this strand of a lot of drilling and stuff, they don't, they don't work the struggle. That's one thing that I've been meditating about. It's, it's people don't appreciate struggle. They talk about, well, oh, I'm hustling. You know, I grow in the struggle, but they, but sometimes they do not allow themselves into the struggle. And the only way you can really deep understanding a situation is through struggle. I think a drill, I think there's maybe, let's talk about, maybe there's three parts of learning something. You know, you learn a technique and you apply the technique, right? Boom. And then it's just, you just rep repetition. So your body knows what you're doing. And then we have a level two, which is the drill, which for me is just choreography. You know, you choreograph. All right, you move like this, I move like that. Now I'm putting a little bit more speed, a little bit of timing, so my body can adapt to the position. But now there's the third and most important element, which is the actual understanding through struggle. And I think that's where people are missing a little bit. And it just seems like they don't even know the technical elements to to survive you know they they explode in the wrong times it's just my point of view they they do strength in the wrong spots you know and i think that's where not allowing yourself to get your guard pass start with a lower level you know let the white belts pass your guard 
and try to make your input of energy the least possible. So try to be as efficient as possible. Sometimes, you know, with a white belt, I'm going to be very efficient, you know. Uh, now with a blue belt, you know, I may be more, you know, uh, I would say more effective than efficient. What do I mean by that? So if someone sides control me and I escape, it was, was effective. I escaped. But I could have used physical attributes. They're not the romantic idea of jiu-jitsu. Maybe I, used, I didn't use leverage proper. Maybe I didn't use timing proper. Maybe I didn't use the diamond connections proper. And I just pushed you off my side control. But was effective. You, you escaped. But maybe your energy level now is so low. Maybe you did too much strength. Uh, or maybe, you know, for the standards of the art, you did too much strength. So you need to go back down a little and sometimes get a get a like a, a, a lower rank where you can analyze how efficient you are in the application of a certain scape, for example. And then you go with a blue belt and then go with a purple belt and then you go with a brown belt and then you go with a black belt. And then you go in a black belt in a mindset of competition. Because I can get, for example, sometimes I, I do these trainings or, or allow Victor Hugo to pass my guard. But I can see he's also playing the game. He's trying to catch me in my movement and upscaping. But sometimes I go, all right, Victor Hugo, super hold me and squeeze the, squeeze the hell out of me. You just want to stall. It's literally a judo immobilization at this point. If in 30 seconds I don't escape, you win because that's the judo mentality. And then you have to struggle. And then, of course, you're, you have to spend more energy because you want to be effective in that escape. You know, but also have that little, you know, midfield between strength and technique. You know, that, that's how, how I always train. You know, uh, sometimes, like I say, I let people take my back. But, of course, I, I go in levels, right? Sometimes I let a blue belt. I let a purple belt. And that's how I play a lot. I let literally they get my back. They put one hand. They literally like that. Boom, choking like. And then I have to like squeeze my 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 chin down. Try to roll my head out, and I start to explore angles, which means when I get into a into a black belt level, and in case I get in that position, guess what? I struggle in that position. In so many different situations that I don't believe there is anything someone can present at the moment that I haven't faced, that I haven't studied, or I don't understand. Yeah, so it's, as you said, it's, it's a bit of the combination of, I know I need to get this particular grip here with my left hand, but also I need to explode this way and putting those pieces together when you're into more of a competition type training. Exactly. You know, it, it's, just, it's just very hard. Like I said, I'm a very, I'm a, I'm a technician. I like to study jujitsu. For me, jiu-jitsu is not just an art, it's science. It's just science. You know, it's how your body maneuvers. How do you apply your body? How do you relax your body? How do you extend your body? How do you stretch certain situations, contract? How can you engage certain muscles? And you only, you're only going to understand that through struggle and put yourself in situations that, you know, you're not too comfortable with, you know? And people, people like to just train too much their comfort zone. You know, I like to train my my struggles way more than I than I train uh, my uh, my strengths. You know, because my strengths they show up in training anyway. You know, I'm able to you know get good positions and from that point on finish people if I don't allow me. So I have pleasure 
in surviving in escape in training way more than I have pleasure like smashing someone because I know that will happen. I know I'm going to compete eventually and I'm going to be able to put those skills into practice and 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 feed my ego per se, you know, just in, in that sense. You know, for me, training is training. And like I said, I love just proving myself that I can escape anybody. So let's go back a little bit. Let's talk about your guard. I know you have the diamond concepts. What tips do you have for those that have, have tried it but have not yet mastered how to create an unpassable guard? Well, uh, like I said, unpassable guard is almost like, you know, it's very cocky and egocentric to say you're not going to get your guard passed. You know, like I said, but the best thing to have to have a good guard is latching your guard pass. I, I would recommend first, uh, which is interesting because uh, my Diamond Concept series on, on, on BJ Fanatics is just like Star Wars. I, 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 I taped uh, a further uh, chapter, but actually the first chapter. So the first chapter itself, it has to be the latest one, uh, which the Diamond Concept for side control escape and mount escape, because the idea of the connections in it, which I call the diamonds, and I can explain why, uh, the philosophical part and application part of it was totally on side control, you know, um, which, which means I just want to be able to connect my body in a, in a way that's efficient and I can withstand pressure for whatever X amount of timing and I can move from there. That's where, where the concept really started you know, was from big positions, not from the guard itself, you know. And of course, uh, which which an interesting story, uh, I have never learned that. And that's the first time I speak about it. So Bernardo uh, taped my, my exercise about, you know, keep your knees to the elbow. I, I was never really taught that. That was something that I just start. okay, if I keep, which is clear, right? If I keep my elbows and knees together, Nobody mobilizes you, right? That's, there's no that's space. Just, yeah. There's no space. It started from there. But then I develop a system with elements within the process. So someone on the internet called me a liar saying that this technique was taught in judo, which I totally believe, but I have never had access to it. So he sent me a book that actually talks about that. And I have the book right here, which for me... In a way, Eric, he, I was kind of upset because he called me a liar, but I don't understand. I understand. Maybe he said, yo, you know, you say you're creating something. I may have not created something because it's out there, but I think I, I, I realized it through jiu-jitsu. I developed the skill uh, above that. So this is a 19, this is this book here. It's from 1940. Look at that picture. It's exactly the position. But doesn't say anything, you know, just say, you know, the, the, your body should be in this position to prevent your opponent from securing mobilization. That's all it says. It doesn't say anything else. You know, it doesn't develop anything within that. So, which for me, it, it feels good because it's an ancient knowledge that I figured that out. I say, okay, it starts as an idea. All right, if I keep my elbows and my knees together you know, nobody passes it. But how to develop that within the art, that's the that's where 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 I came into the game. You know, so uh I think the first thing is understanding side control, uh as you know uh we do in, in pretty much uh all 
when we start jiu-jitsu, you usually we start learning about bad positions, you know, and I think side control is the roots of jiu-jitsu because if you look at judo, side control is the end. In jiu-jitsu, it's just a start, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's a very, uh, it's a very uh, simple, yes, sophisticated position for both aggressor, opponent, and, and yourself. So I believe first, understand side control, understand where where the hip changes, understand when you should shrimp, when you should connect, when you should stay elegant. Because and then when you're playing guard, your body and your and your emotional sense is gonna understand when you are about to be mobilized. And then you can go back to a side control escape and then develop your guard again. You know, uh, you know the diamond guard again is, is such a simple concept. But then I put the elements that require movement. You know, okay, the guy comes in, I connect uh, my knee to my elbow, keep you away with my shield, get elegant, get the paddle, go back to guard, you know. And if everything goes wrong, just connect your knee and elbow. So the idea is super simple, which is, you know, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication anyway, right? So, uh, and that's how I started, you know. So I call it Diamond Guard because I, I go to my seminars and I close my eyes and I just go like that. And I have people try to pass my guard. And of course, they always go through my legs. But because of my understanding of side control, they can't, they can't control me, you know. And I think that's where I go. So I tell people to really have a really good guard, master the side control escape. Once you master the side control escape, you're able to anticipate the mobilization. So the secret of the guard, in my opinion, researching, you know, my notes and, and studying it, it's not even your ability to maintain the guard, but it's more your ability to prevent the side control to be established. Is that if, if that makes sense for you? You know what I mean? And I think that's the understanding because if you look, look at fights, good guard, good guard, good guard, quit. You know, it's a void. It's a huge void that I see in, 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 in high-level, even high-level competitors where they don't have that transition between, okay, bay on guard. I cannot do my classic guard. I cannot do my spider guard. I cannot do – it's all about cycle control escape. You know, and understand that little point between almost escaping and already setting back up your attack. You know, and and, I th- and that's where where I'm standing right now. I think side control at this point uh, to technical development is the root of jiu-jitsu, even beyond the guard. No, that's I, I've never thought of it that way, but you're right. Uh, being in side control and having someone dominate you from the side is probably the worst position. I think I would rather be mounted and I have an easier job escaping than if somebody has me in side control. So if you can master avoiding that or at least you know turning a little bit to to get away and you know get your arms in there that yeah which is interesting because uh every time i teach for bj fanatics a week later i review something else so we are i already have the the site the side control escapes 2.0 so it's it's just because uh sometimes it's not how the technique changes but how how i change doing the technique you know how can i use my body more efficiently, you know, because, and if you look at uh, this point, if, if, you, if, you, if you look for this perspective, side control will always be side control. 
same way as a mount, same way as a back. Cycle control is always going to be cycle control from white to black belt. There's no difference. The pose, the position is the same, but your, own, your understanding and your applicability in different levels, that's what defines the difference. You know, because when you are white belt, you side control a white belt, right? When you are blue belt, you're going to side control a blue belt. And so it doesn't change, but it changed the level that you're performing a certain technique. So, and also comes to the point also that a black belt, it's not defined by the quantity of techniques that you learn, but the quality of what you know on the things that really matter. And for me, for my system, what matters is good positions, um, you know, and also understanding uh, basic elements such as like, you know, posture, positioning, uh, applying pressure, using gravity, using timing, you know, and of course, and then we have more specific elements. How do I defend this specific guard hold? Okay, someone do a lasso on me, someone do a, do a whatever position or technique grip they do, but it's going to come to a point that the fight is the same from white to black belt. And that's where we need to master is those close corners is when is when it's your diamond versus my diamond. And it's about who is more precise, you know, and, and that's, it's going to be universal. It's never going to change. And again, what can change is the mindset of the players much more than the physical technique itself. So, you know, you've mentioned, you know, you want to be really, not, it's not as much about the, the quantity of techniques that you know, it's about being really good at the basics or in a few different positions. You know what you're really good at. Is there one thing you're, where you wish, like, I wish I was better at this, whether it's from top or bottom or a transition or anything like that? Me, uh, at this point, I wish I could invert a little easier. Uh, this is one of... Uh, uh, Budokan mobility, primary positions, you know, you're supine, you're upright, you're side body, you're pronated. You never want to be in a prone position in Jiu-Jitsu. And uh, inverted, you know, because those are the elements of mobility in the primary poses, right? And I wish I could invert a, a little bit better because it's, 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 it's a leverage that, you know, that we jiu-jitsu athletes have found that's very useful many times, you know, uh, because, for example, if someone crosses the knee on me, uh, okay, my diamond uh, defense is really good because, you know, I put my frame, my shield, I got elegant and a pedal, but sometimes I wish I could not do that, but, you know, unbalance the person, spin under to like a kiss of the dragon or something like that. And that's where uh, me and Victor Hugo, we have a good exchange because he's a master on that, uh, you know, in this more, I would say, more modern approach, going inverted, uh, you know, this more, I guess, more more plastic movement um, type of jiu-jitsu where we see, you know, the Mendes brothers uh, started very, very big with the Birimbolo, you know. So I think if I had to, it's not even a technique, I would say... I would, I would like to have more of that ability to invert because the technique could be the brimbolo, could be, you know, going from cycle from like half guard in those roles they do. I just wish I would be a bit better on that type of movement, 
not necessarily the game. Do you think it's because you didn't practice as much when you were younger, or do you think it's because now you're eligible to compete in the master's division and maybe <laughs> your body doesn't let you bend that way as, as you could? Uh, I'm, pre I'm pretty flexible. It's not, I don't think it's a problem. Uh, when I was actually a purple belt, I did a lot of inversion. Uh, I did a lot of like, you know, cross sleeve, upside down, to classic sweep, to omoplatas. I, I inverted a lot. But it was very specific to one position, you know. It wasn't like between people's legs. I think nowadays people invert really good. I did a helicopter for a long time also as a purple belt. So being on my inverted wasn't a problem. But uh, but now my point being is, is now I have someone in a little different angles on me. So I think there's more angles nowadays where people invert you know, my time, you know, I would invert with someone not on the way on me, you know, so it's easy for me to invert. But now once someone puts the cross knee on your chest and you have that, for example, that, uh, that kiss of the dragon hook, you know, you can push the guy, invert for like leg locks. I'm not really a big leg lock guy either. So those angles, they're not the ones that I can teach. You know, I have knowledge about all of this. But I'm not just so efficient on it. You know, maybe I can invert someone, invert, but I'm going to struggle. You know, I'm, it's not going to be something effortless. So I wish I would be more effortless on those mobilities within combat. Sure. So I want to take a step back a minute because I've, I've heard the story online, but I've never actually heard it directly from you. Uh, you know, initially, how did you get into jujitsu? Uh, I did judo, uh, in Brazil It's very common to like people go to PE and do judo. So I started with judo, uh, very young. I think my gi was maybe as big as my forearm <laughs> right now. So really young, a lot of, like, I already grappled, you know? So I guess, uh, when you were very young like that, it's a lot of, it's a lot of ground because you're not really doing a lot of, so when you're that age at four or five years old, not even that, you're just a sotogari and headlocking people. That's pretty much your life in judo, you know. And then uh, when I moved to my house, I still had fun. Me and my friends would be grappling all the time. Uh, we had the, we called the the grama, see grama, no, 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 see gr grama. So we had this little, uh, this little, uh, you know, grass uh, that we would like settle our disagreements, you know. And sometimes we're just team up and just grapple each other, you know, a bunch of crazy kids. And then uh, one day, this smaller kid uh, did something to me that I couldn't defend. I'm like, how can this kid be so small but felt so strong in this position? That's when my brother, uh, he's like, well, I'm doing jiu-jitsu. Maybe you're going to like it. I'm like, oh, thank you for letting me know you're doing jiu-jitsu. You know what I mean? So he was already in jiu-jitsu for about six months. Saulo has always been big in judo. He never stopped training judo. Uh, he did karate too. And uh, he was training jiu-jitsu, and he's like, well, you should come and try it. So in 1991, that's when I officially uh, started my, uh, my jiu-jitsu journey at the Monte Associação Monteiro Academy in Manaus. That's pretty much how I started, and I never stopped since. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, that, was, uh, that was awesome. Thank you. And your daughter, does, she does jiu-jitsu now too, right? Yeah, not formal right now because uh, she's in San Diego. I'm in Austin. But, uh, you know, I play, I just like play with her because 
I'm not in a rush for her to learn Jiu Jitsu. Uh, she's 10 years old. She's our artist. She likes drawing. She likes movies and stuff. She just sometimes doesn't see like, why do I have to smash someone in Jiu Jitsu? You know, she doesn't see that yet, you know, and like the struggles, she still have a hard time going through the struggles that Jiu Jitsu bring to you. But I make sure she understands. She knows how to do a little diamond guard. She knows how to push the hip. She knows how to escape side control. So every time I'm tickling her, I, I lay down her belly and then she has to escape. So if she gets that, everything else will be easier once once she comes back uh, eventually. Perfect, yeah. My daughter's five and she does jujitsu also. And I do the same sort of thing. When we're kind of wrestling at night, I'll, I'll get her in side control. I'll get her in the mount and I'll make her, you know, hug the arm and I make her grab my leg and, you know, flip me over. And was, it's, it's awesome to see them kind of grow and and yeah, yeah. Things. you know, like I said, when she, she's super strong too, but she's like, nah, she's like lazy a little bit, but I'm not forced, you know, I understand she grow up, like sometimes, you know, we can see examples that kids like, oh yeah, I want to be like my father, but in her case, I think she felt like a little bit of pressure being my daughter, and I let her free, you know, she trains, uh, not like crazy competition, she competed like three times, um, you know, but it's not something I want to, because if she goes back two years from now, start jiu-jitsu again, uh, or decide to keep it going on her, on her journey, I think for me, I'll be super happy. It's not how you start, but how you finish. That's usually how I say. Definitely. So, you know, you've obviously been doing jiu-jitsu for 30 years, right? Close to that, if my math is yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, 30 years, I would say. So, if you could say, okay, here are the one or two things I my my biggest learnings in that 30 year time frame what would those one or two things be um i think jiu jitsu uh allow me to be of course all those things that we we know such as like confidence blah 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 strong blah blah, blah. i think this is this, i think every martial arts can give you that i think many things can give you that but uh, if I have to mention two things which they tap into even the philosophical part of the diamond concept is one, my ability to be emotionally intelligent, you know, my ability to make decisions under pressure. I think this is super important. I think this is life itself. You know, everyone is under pressure. Everyone, you have to think fast. You have to anticipate if you get caught in a bad position or in a bad situation in life, you have two choices to go crazy and fail or be smart about it, understand what's happening, survive the situation and find the easiest and the effortless path to a solution. You know, I think jiu-jitsu really allowed me, not just within jiu-jitsu, but in my life to try to always seek for the path of less resistance you know, to, to, to survive a, a situation, you know, we can say a job thing, a relationship breakup, you know, anything like that. And I would call this the emotional intelligence, you know, be able to, to do that. And I think it also through the struggles of jujitsu, it allowed me to be a better person, a better version of myself, because every struggle, every hardship, there's a, there's a learning process from that you know, positive or negative. And I think your ability to understand that is what makes a difference. So I think, uh, I think with jujitsu, I, I, I was forged a better version of myself 
that's uh, that's how I see the two main things that jiu-jitsu gave to me. Emotional intelligence and my ability to, tur to turn into the better version of myself. Some people turn the worst. Is what, that's when ego, pride, cockiness, uh, narcissism, things like that plays into game. That's the power that jiu-jitsu gives to you and, and, and some people manipulation and things like that some people use in their benefit because i'm a higher rank i think i'm better than you because of things like that that's not a better version of yourself it is a better version physically speaking because you are better at jiu-jitsu but that doesn't mean you are better at being a person you know and i think with jiu-jitsu the greater that i became in my accomplishments i i try to turn that level of greatness into my humbleness you know I think as much greater and glory I got through jiu-jitsu, I had this thing in my mind that I have to be a better person every day. As much as I win, I'm going to have an idea that this is actually meaningless because it doesn't matter if I win a medal, but it's still a terrible person, still an asshole, still someone that uses my power through jiu-jitsu to get advantage over people. And the worst thing is take people's trust into my pocket and use it for my benefit. And I think that happens with jiu-jitsu a lot. Teachers that, you know, know someone wants a belt or they're willing to, to do whatever, they say, okay, you need to pay me 10 million in privates, you know. Uh, unfortunately, we're having cases where, you know, women are being, you know, molested because they have a dream, you know. Oh, this guy's my teacher. I love him. And I'm going to do everything he asks me. And I think I know she's naked in front of you. And that's bad. You know, so I think that's, I think that's what jiu-jitsu should bring to people. A psychological aspect of being emotionally present. Because you have to be emotionally present. And emotionally intelligent to react to all those, those desires that, you know, comes with jiu-jitsu. Not just in a, in a life, but on, on an actual practicality of jiu-jitsu and turn all of that into a better version of yourself yeah you know i think you know there are obviously lots and lots of people that do jiu-jitsu and generally speaking what i found is the tougher the guy the more humble and the nicer that guy is uh there, mm -hmm. again, there are exceptions here and there but it's it's kind of weird it's almost the opposite of what you would think and i think it is because you most people have that same mindset of i have this person's trust and i have this ability if i wanted to i could bully them but then that makes me a shithead right and i don't yeah, want to do yeah. that i want to i want to be a good person and teach others all this great all the great things that we we get from jiu-jitsu for sure yeah and that comes from examples you know uh jiu-jitsu it's all about examples you know and sometimes probably maybe you had a trauma maybe your teacher was somebody and then some and people just think that's the right way to do it you know and uh, it's not how it is, you know. Sometimes you have to use those, let's call it the traumas, in a way to give you an example of what not to do, you know. <laughs> same, same as jiu-jitsu, you know. If you pass my guard, expose my elbow, it's a perfect example of what not to do. So next time you don't do it, you know. So take those traumas, not into consideration like, oh, I hate when someone's my side control. Well, maybe I should keep my elbows closed. <laughs> you know, I think, and I think that's how jiu-jitsu is so beautiful in the application, not just in the fight and combat, but in life too. 
So you mentioned examples. I think you are an example for a lot of people that do jujitsu. Who are the guys that you look up to, or who who are your examples um, as you as you think about? Oh them? man, uh, thirty years of jujitsu, you know, it's just it's just so much, you know. Uh, definitely, my brother is someone that I look up to. Uh, I try to mimic his uh, his greatnesses. Uh, I try to avoid some trait that uh, that I see on him, and I believe he does the same. Um, I don't know, so many, you know, I grew up with a, a picture of Higgs on the Hoyler uh, in my academy. Uh, I don't know, there's so many, and, and I'm kind of spoiled in a way because I was taken into the family that I created, you know, I, I'm very respect within the family. Uh, I built friendships. Uh, I did meet Carlos once when I was 12 years old. Um, he touched my shoulder and smiled at me. And I think when I saw that, you know, he was doing this. Uh, I didn't met him. He walked past by me and he actually stopped it to touch on my shoulder and he smiled at me. And that said a lot right there for me because I'm like, whoa, this guy is the, is the inventor of my art. And he's just so cool. He just smiled at me with this genuine smile. You know, he could just walk around like I'm Carlos Gracie and I don't care who you are. I was, I was a 12 year old boy you know, try to listen to him speaking about jiu-jitsu. And as soon as I know he passed by, touched my shoulder and smiled at me, this, this just said a lot. He didn't say a word, but I think that really, that's how I try to to be today. You know, when I'm in tournaments, I'm always making eye contact. I'm always laughing, smiling. Some people are like, why does this guy smile at me? Like, I, I even sometimes it seems like I... I I, I I think people know me, you know, sometimes yeah, I'm smiling at people. So maybe it's like, who's the fucking bald guy? He's smiling at me. He's a freak, dude, you know. But anyway, uh, and of course, Elio Gracie, you know, the way he, he developed jiu-jitsu, the way he, 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 he put himself in the family to try to develop a, a family that, you know, they're winners, you know. He believed on the art of jiu-jitsu and they made the best thing. Uh, to make that happen, and then of course, and then we go my 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 instructors at the time, you know the Montero brothers, uh, and then of course, and then we go into my lifetime of competition, Jacare, Roger, Homolu, you know all those guys that 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 helped forge me as a fighter, you know, and also within that process helped to forge me as a man, you know, and, and I don't, I don't think I think it's almost like unfair. To, to just name one or two people when I arguably have 20 years of black belt competition with people that have taught me so much. You, know, you mentioned all of the years of competition at the very highest level competing against the very best guys. You know, when you were you know, getting ready for ADCC or getting ready for the Worlds, what did your training look like getting ready for some of those big tournaments? Um. I think it doesn't change much from my from my uh, from my usual um, I would say my usual schedule. The difference is the mindset, the intensity that you are putting into the work. You know, uh, of course, all right. We're five weeks, six weeks out. Diet has changed. Do I have to lose weight? Do I have to gain weight? So how does that work? You know, there there are things that I cut anyway, which helps you feel performance, such as sugars you know, bad carbohydrates and things like that. That's just, that's like primary, you know, that's like first grade. That's the first thing you got to do. You, you got to exclude every type of fuel 
that um, that will not benefit your your jujitsu or your training itself. You know, and then we have the phases, you know. But I think for me, because I already train regularly in a matter of understanding everything I do, when I have to go to competition, I don't have to come back and train those things anymore. I just have to like make that into performance, you know. So, which mean, which might mean by that, just give an example. Okay, that's how I escape side control, and the way I escape side control is very efficient, right? And it's effortless. But when I'm in a state of a competition, I know I can just power with the technique because I know I just have 10 minutes to, I have a time limit to accomplish something, you know, and that's where that goes, you know. And the mindset changes a very, 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 various ways, such as, for example, um, like if I'm going to train one day, let's go back into escapes again. I guess it's just easier so people can, okay, it could be, a guard could be okay. Let's uh, let's work beauty bowl, right? That's just example. All right, guys. Shanji on the bottom, he can only be in bolo. The guy on the top can only defend, which means he can't really pass my guard. So I'm gonna be trying bring bolo. I said, no, I'm tired. I'm super exhausted. I'm doing a lot of power that I that I usually don't do it. Uh, or also I can change the same mindset. Okay. Now, let Shanji go a little deeper in the position. Now, he's already has the upside down. Now, he has to finish the position. Ready, go. Boom. And then you go from there. So, throughout the process, you have to analyze what type of people you're going to fight, what's your strategy. So, there's a plan for that. You know, there's a baseline of training, which is a lot of grip fighting, a lot of partial training, uh, a lot of takedown drills, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, different time frame, okay, maybe it's a two-minute match, a three-minute match, and then all the way to, 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 to 10, uh, how are you going to incorporate your physical uh, training with jiu-jitsu? And one thing that I have always been very voiced about is that I'll never compensate my jiu-jitsu training with my conditioning training. Because a lot of people go and say, oh, I need to get in better shape to do jiu-jitsu. Yes, I understand that. But if you don't understand how to use that conditioning into jiu-jitsu, it's worthless, you know, because you can't use all your physique all the time. You know, it has to be like, uh, if I need it, I have it. That's one, when you're physically strong. Or to build a base level of strength and endurance. I think that's where conditioning allows you to. You know, especially in my, in my case, for example, I'm a very technician. My jiu-jitsu is technical. So what I'll do, I'll go into conditioning just to make sure my technique, even on the weakest level, is still strong if I have to do power. So my workload is always, you know, in a level that I can withstand any training session. And, and we go from there, you know, and then we go, maybe I'll say, okay, guys, this week, we're going to do two performance days. So when you come on just two days, I need you guys rested because I need you guys to kill each other. You know, and then you do that. Boom, boom, boom. And also, which for me is the biggest key element is start trying to stay stress-free, okay? Meaning not allowing outside influences make you stressed because when you're, not, when you're stressed, you can't rest. So resting is the ultimate key for any sport, because if you go, especially in jiu-jitsu, if you go to a training session 
where you are already tired first, you're going to have a great chance to get hurt. Second, you're stressed. Now you're thinking about how tired you are. And third, you're not going to be able to move efficiently like you're supposed to. So those things really, they interfere. So that's pretty much has been the formula uh, of my whole career, you know, and a lot of understanding. Sometimes, you know, if it's a performance day and I just feel like shit, I rest. And then, yeah, and then I can go, or maybe I just feel like shit to be in jiu-jitsu today, but maybe I want to go to a run. Maybe a run will make me feel more inspired. So you have to always go between what I have to do and how inspired I am to do what I need to do, you know? So sometimes I have to tell my guys, hey, I don't give a fuck. You have, sorry, I don't care. You have to come and train. I don't care how tired you are because today is about to work your grit. It's about to work the moment that you wake up next day of a competition and you still have to fight three more fights. But that's more of a mental game than actual physical attribute because probably after this training, he's going to be more beat up than actually beneficial, but it works his mind, you know? So then you as a coach, you have to always evaluate that, especially once you get older. Because once you're younger, yeah, you can put volume. The threshold to, to, to handle training is higher. But once you're a little older, then you have to really understand how to push and pull through all this process. You mentioned rest. When you do rest and recovery, are you simply just taking training off or are you doing sauna or ice baths or cupping? What do you do to... Well, yeah, that those are therapies, I would say. It's not really, you know, it's recovery also. Um, you can do different many different ways, you know. Uh, like uh, sometimes my training is just literally on the couch the whole day, you know, and just make sure I don't stay in the same position for too long. <laughs> Otherwise, my, my, my spine hurts. You know, you can go like, all right, today was a very, you know, hard training. Let's work on recovery. Recovery is not rest, okay? Of course, rest is part of recovery, but it's two different things. What's recovery? It's an ice bath. It's a, it's a, it's a sauna therapy. It's doing a massage. It's actually work the recovery of your muscles, of your physiology as a physical attribute, Okay. That's what it is. And also, even you need to rest from recovery too, you know, because sometimes you do a massage. I need a day to recover from the massage. You know, I cannot just have a massage one day. But again, it goes from person to person. Like sometimes your body is just full of acid lactic. You can feel, feel like, okay, you know what? I'm going to work my recovery. I do a massage. I go back home. I take a shower. And then maybe that maybe a compliment with massage also for an ice bath or cold shower, hot shower, and then I literally stay still because now my body have to recover from my training, from my recovery itself because massage is breaking tissues. Now I have to recover to from that broken tissue, which in that case is just plain rest. Maybe go for a walk you know, make your body move, you know, make your blood articulate, you know. So it, it's, it's, it has many ways, you know. Some guys, like, they, they're really big in CBD now because their body get relaxed. That's just, for me, is massage therapy. You know, sometimes even drinking a glass of wine 
is part of your recovery because it's you stressed, you're not inspired. And again, your understanding of stress gonna really dictate your recovery because you can be home, totally resting, but you're on the phone, you worry about your bills, you worry about this, you, you argue with your wife or your girlfriend, or you, you get stressed because your kids are making a mess. You know, so you need also that type of recovery because if your stressors, your, your hormones are in fight or flight all the time, you're not recovering. You actually maybe doing worse. You might be in your couch, but you're not even resting because your mind doesn't go at, at easy, you know? So there's all these elements in jiu-jitsu that they're not even talked about. They just think rest is ice bath and, then, and that's it. Again, it may change from physiology to physiology, but in a, in, a, in a general concept, that's how I trigger my rest. You know, okay, so Thursday, it's going to be my crazy strong day. Usually at Lovato's, that's how we do. Like Thursday is going to be our, let's going to head to the Charter Day. And we go from there, straight like a, an ice bath, and maybe do some IV, get a massage that day. And then Friday, we rest the whole day. Maybe go for a walk, stretch, but stretch not to gain flexibility, but just so the body knows it weighs. You know, like uh, you know, like when people ask me about stretching, like stretching should be stretching itself. But there is restorative stretching and there is actually stretching. So it's not that I want to gain flexibility on my hamstrings, for example, but it's just so my hamstrings knows that the direction the fiber is, you know? And then that's my Friday because I'm recovering from training and recovery itself. And then Saturday, depends how I feel, I can do another strong, strong, strong class. I can do something maybe more volume. I can mix it up. I can do, I can just do like maybe 10 rounds of 10 in a considerably mid intention, you know, like, like intensity, mm -hmm. because and then I can have a big meal on Saturday, maybe carb load, whatever, big rest on Saturday. And then I can, you know, just go see friends, go see the girlfriend, whatever. And then Sunday you can go walk a bicycle, maybe stretch, maybe go to the sun. And then Monday, I'm going to guarantee you, you're ready for a strong Monday. So if I remember correctly, you, uh, you're kettlebell certified, right? Like as a kettlebell yeah. instructor? Yeah, I, uh, I've been doing kettlebells for since 1999. That was the first time I fell in love with it. Has always trained, has always taught people how to do kettlebells, but I have never formally finished my certification. And uh, now I'm Steve Cotter, uh, IKFL level one certification, yeah. Are there any movements we should be doing with kettlebells that help us either with our mobility or strength as it relates to jiu-jitsu? Um, well, every, everyone has this question like, oh, what should I do for jiu-jitsu? First of all, for jiu-jitsu, you should do jiu-jitsu just as a start. But let's talk about kettlebells, okay? So people say, oh, why are you doing this? What is this for? I'm like, sometimes I'm just doing movement for movement. I don't need to have a a why for everything I do. Maybe I'm just doing kettlebells for kettlebells. Cause that's how it is, you know? Like sometimes you don't do boxing because you're going to MMA, you're going to do boxing because you like boxing. So 
I think ever I think besides presses because this is this is not realistic for jiu-jitsu anything above head is unrealistic unless actually all the way around when the guy puts you in this position so I think for even it's good it's good to get your, your shoulders stronger and everything else, but for functionality the only thing I believe I would say is not good for jiu-jitsu but it's still good because you create strength is a press okay uh, look about the swing. Swing could relate to just strong ass, strong legs. Could be your ability to stay in motion, your base, your posture. Uh, could be your sprawl, the way you snap your hip forward, you thrust your hip forward. So there's a lot of applicability for that, you know. And also what I like about kettlebells is just your ability to stay efficient within the movement. Because I'm working a load up and down in a swing, for example, is the same thing I'm fighting a person. I'm working that load on my back. And also, jiu-jitsu, it goes from flexible power to isometric power very easy, which means like, like when you do, for example, uh, Pilates. Pilates is a flexible strength because you go to like really where your flexibility is the hardest, then you have to build the strength from that. You know, and I think that's, just as an example, the swing, you know, because you, you have to, to really explode your hip to create that energy going up. And also you have to be able to, to dis disaccelerate going down, which again, you're using a concentric movement uh, of your glutes, for example, because now they're expanding at the same time, they have to hold that, that pressure and snap back on again, as example. Yeah. Uh, and then of course the squats, you know, hip flexibility, and his squad is your guard. I think the squad is the epiphany, is the number one idea of the diamond concept because you need to be able to squad and touch your knees to your elbows. Even better if you can teach your knees to your shoulders in a deep squad, like a malasana for yoga, for example. You know, so the squad, when I'm upright, is a squad. But if I'm laying down, it's my guard. So squad is guard. Which means now you have to withstand pressure when people put weight on you. Uh, you know, when you dive on connect here to push someone, it's all squatting. Um, the clean position, for example, the rack position when you clean the bell. This is keep your elbows tight to you. You know what I mean? Learn how to, how to like find your pocket. You know, learn how to shrug your shoulder. Maybe use your lats, you know, and that brings you understanding. Plus that I, I go need to like, shit, the bells are here on my arm. Now I have to extend this guy. So, and like I said, I can go on and on with many of that. And I think those are like, I would say, the primary uh, exercises. Of course, if you do a jerk, it's explosion, you know, but it's a very vertical explosion. You know, jiu-jitsu is very forward, but it still helps physiologically. Uh, your muscles, you know, and, and, and kettlebell, if you're not flexible, you're going to have a problem, you know, so it's about using flexibility and power within the same process, and uh, and also for me, what really is interesting about kettlebell is how related to the technique and be efficient in jiu-jitsu, so for example, like I mentioned to you, just work a correlation, a side control is a side control, right, so you have to be efficient on the white belt, right, 
So if I relate to kettlebells, is the 12 kilo belt, it's a 25 pound belt. Okay, I can, I'm efficient, I'm effective, sometimes I can do more power and I can do this for 10 minutes. Now you're a blue belt. So the blue belt is still the same swing, is still the same clean, but now it's a 35 pound kettlebell. So you have to be efficient, you have to keep your technique, but now you're moving a stronger load, which could be a better person or a stronger person. It, can, it doesn't matter. Now you are brown belt. Now, yeah, you have to move a 20 kilo, a 45 pound kettlebell with the same efficient and looks the same. You see, it looks the same, but the load itself is different. So you have to be efficient. You have to look your technique, proper breathing, because if you now you don't think about your breath, you're going to get tired. Once you get tired, you're going to have a tendency to try to muscle. If you muscle in jiu-jitsu, it's worse. It can be effective, but it can get you tired, you know? So kettlebells, it, it, it's, a, it's, such a, it's such a beautiful uh, relation between kettlebells and jiu-jitsu. And that's why, and also, you know, your grips, you feel like you can just grab anyone's geese and rip it apart. And it's, it's, you're right, it's that foundational thing where if I'm doing a swing with a 25 pound kettlebell and I don't pay attention, I'm just winging it in the air like that as a white belt, right? Then I move up mm. and now I'm doing the brown belt, I'm doing a 75 pound or an 80 pound kettlebell. Well, I'm gonna tear my shoulder off if I'm just swinging it in the air like that. So you have to progress. Exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. Be able to withstand the load with the same technique and be efficient all the way around. That's, that's how we wanna do it. So, Professor, I know that you're you're starting to compete again. You did, you know, fight to win. You competed at the Austin Open. What's uh, what's coming next for you? What can we look forward to? Uh, you know, after my fight with uh, Wagner, you know, uh, the thing my academy is not open yet, so I don't want to have to like go to places and, and and call people to train. It's just not the vibe in the in the in the in the setup that uh, that that I want. But uh, yeah, I competed. Right now, I'm just pretty much working my physique. Uh, I want to get more knowledge. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm building a methodology for for six blades, and also whoever wants to learn uh, my methodology is going to be welcome. But uh, I'm studying. I'm studying the NASM for personal training. I just want to know, have more formal knowledge of things. You know, uh, I did my uh, kettlebell certification. Uh, I'm working on my personal training certification. Uh, not I'm going to be a personal trainer, but I want to be able to speak the language properly uh, when I tell people what's happened on their technique. Um, also, I'm finishing my Budokan Mobility certification. I've been a mover for a long time. Uh, I do have my Ginas Cantural uh, certification, but now uh, I'm working my Budokan. It's such a beautiful system. Uh, I have to go to this online course where I have to send videos. I have to do like like a white belt, you know, even though yeah. I'm a, I would say I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good brown belt mover as a move. Maybe I'm a black belt mover in jiu-jitsu, but for mobility itself, for, for, for Budokan and camera chain and Malayan chain standards, I need, I need some more improvement. So I'm working on that. Uh, lifting a lot of weights, you know, something that I have never really done in my career. I have never been a, a strength bodybuilder guy. So that's what I'm doing. I'm literally just lifting as a bodybuilding. But then I, I still do my yoga. Uh, I have a, 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 a guru from India. Uh, we have uh, three meetings a week. Uh, we talk about yoga philosophy. It's been helped me so much. And Eric, it just impresses me so much how all those arts 
all of those sciences, they have so much in common, you know, like, uh, like I mentioned in the beginning, sometimes it's not the quantity of what you can do, but the quality of what you do, you know, when you are in a yoga asana, for example, it's not how flexible you are on the asana, but what type of person do you become when you think that asana and you're struggling? You know, when you're in a balanced asana, when you're in like a hip opening asana, what's happening to your body? Is your shoulder moving properly? What's your relation between your shoulder and your hip? Which is pretty much jiu-jitsu, you know, when I put myself in a certain pose that I'm fighting, or a certain technique, my body reacts a certain way. Do I need more flexibility? Do I need more strength? Do I need more peace of mind? So those are the things I'm working, you know, uh, you know, just try to vary my array of knowledge, um, you know, to be able to go back to jiu-jitsu and, and understand jiu-jitsu in, in a deeper level uh, of conscience, not just how do you do a choke, you know, but how what's my understanding of the choke and what type of person do I become within the process of, you know, applying energy technique. Perfect. So lots of, lots of cool things. I know you have your Academy opening. Uh, where can people connect with you, find more, uh, more about you, all that stuff? Uh, you know, you guys can always go uh, Instagram, you know, if you hit me there, it's fine. You can go to six place jujitsu, uh, drop your name there. If anyone is looking for affiliation, uh, come and visit me. I'm my open doors. I'm my open doors policy. Uh, I have no problem. I, I love teaching people. I am for jujitsu. Uh, I do have my methodology. It's going to be available soon for people that want to, um, you know, even if you don't want to be six blades, you can also learn the, the methodology and try to just incorporate something uh, on your system because, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to create something and, and, and just kind of like stay in my own world. But of course, it will be a standard if you want to become a, a certified, you know, if you want to have a Six Blades Academy, you have to have uh, the course. But uh, it's going to be open for everyone. Uh, a lot of conceptual, a lot of deep understanding of techniques, not just like how I do an Americana, but, but, but how better can I make myself in the process of performing an Americana. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of yoga, uh, a lot of mind science, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, mobility, a lot of exercises, application for jiu-jitsu. Uh, that is also consulting, you know, usually uh, for Six Blades, it's mostly, it's all specific consulting for their businesses because some people need more help. Some people don't need help at all. You know, they just want to belong to something, you know, so, and that's how I, 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 I deal with all my academies. But right now, uh, I'm not open to anybody. But uh, definitely in 2021, we're going to open the doors to the methodology and people can come and can learn. Like I said, Instagram, sixblazejujitsu.com, sixblazebjj.com, uh, my Facebook fan page, Shandy Ribeiro, uh, all the Six Blades Academies. Whoever wants to speak with me, just find one of us and definitely it's going to come to me. Uh, I'm usually pre-available. Um, you know, like I said, you send me a message, I answer um, if I can do stuff, I will do some stuff. If I can't, I cannot, I would, I would not, you know, but, uh, I try to be very available, um, you know, because I don't want to build a business that actually moves me away from what I love the most, which is to teach people, you know, but if it's something more specific, such as, you know, procedures and, and the business part, I may direct you somewhere else, 
but uh, in general, like I said, like the same way you approach me uh, and, and give me the chance to talk with your podcast. And, and even if it is just for your students, for me, if I can inspire one person at a talk, for me, it's already a, a big change that I can make in the world. Perfect. I, I want to say thank you again for, uh, for coming on, Professor. It was definitely, it was an honor and it was a privilege. So thank you very much. If you haven't followed this guy, go follow him. He's amazing. Uh, Jean, Professor Jean Gigibero. How'd I do? A uh, little better. Closer. All right. Perfect. I'll, I'll keep <laughs> working right. on it. I promise. When, when, when you come to Austin personally, and then I think you can get it. It's, this, this Zoom is good, like, you know, going to podcasts, YouTubes are good, but there's nothing better than real connection. Definitely. Next time I'm in Austin, I will stop by. Please do. All right. Thank you, Professor. Thank you, Eric. Uh -huh.